Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're going to jump in. Um, I want to talk about Shabbos today. Specifically, what's, what's the big deal about Shabbos? What's so great about Shabbos? And uh, to discuss really two different models of how we're understanding Shabbos, or what Shabbos represents, what it means, and, and maybe approach it from a, a slightly different standpoint. In other words, um, I think a lot has been said about Shabbos, and people are familiar with, with sort of the basic contours of the idea. But I'd really like to approach it from a slightly different angle, and, um, and I'll, just, uh, I'll just tell you what I'm thinking. Shabbos really has two names, and I want to explore these two names and the different, um, the different sort of philosophical and spiritual implications of both of these names, and, and, and what it means to us. And it's like one of these things, you know, uh, any way you slice it, it's beautiful. But, but you'll see that there are two very different sort of like um, things that come out, and ultimately they merge, but, um, but, but we'll save that. Let's, let's talk about the differences first before we talk about how ultimately they come together. Um, so Shabbos has two names, and we're really going to explore which, which each of these means. One is Shabbos. That's the more familiar term. Uh, and the other is Yom Hashvi, which means the seventh day. And so there are different explanations and different comparisons of these two different names of Shabbos, because you have to understand the, the Torah doesn't repeat itself, and it's very, very holy. So anytime they give something, call it by two different names, then they're talking about two different aspects of its essence. Um, you wouldn't call something by two different names of the Torah unless you mean to make a, a distinction, unless Hashem himself is making a distinction. Just as an aside, one of the things the um, so-called Bible critics uh, like to say, which to me is profoundly stupid, um, is that they like to seize on the fact that Hashem is called by different names in the Torah. And so therefore, that must mean that this was written by lots of different people over lots of different epochs. Because otherwise, why aren't they calling God by the same name? Now, I personally am called David by my peers, Daddy by my children, Hey You by many other people, <laughs> Dave by certain people, you know, Mr. Sachs by some people, Red Dovid from other people, Dovid, Dovidal. I'm called by so many different names. And... Other people are called, you can fill in the blanks and go through your own profile. But what about my online names, right? SaxDJ at AOL.com, right? There are many online names that I have as well. So, so the idea that God is referred to by different names in the Torah is it's all talking to Hashem Yisbarach, right? That we, that we understand the, the, the one God, the creator of heaven and earth, and we say, Ain od milvado, there are no other powers other than him. Not just that our God is stronger than their gods. There is no other power other than Hashem. And so, and so when we talk about a different name for God, we're zeroing in on a different aspect of the one true God's essence. Okay, so that's just an aside. But let's, let's get back to this notion um, of Shabbos and its two different names. Because obviously we're, we're talking about two different great qualities of Shabbos if Hashem is giving it two names. 
So one name is Yom Ashvi, the seventh day. And Reb Shlomo Karlach, I heard him say at one point that Yom Ashvi, the seventh day, is actually a higher name than Shabbos. Okay, why? Because the seventh day suggests an organic unity that all six days are leading up to the seventh day. And therefore, when you call Shabbos the seventh day, you're understanding it as the crown and the goal of creation. Shabbos can just mean like, okay, so there's the six days of the week, and there's the seventh day of the week, and it's sort of like, ah, it's just something different. Alright, that's what I do the six days of the week, that's what I do the seventh day of the week, it's different. Okay. Now, by the way, other people will tell you, Taurus, how Shabbos is a higher name than Yom Shvi. And I'm sure Reb Shlomo gave another Torah where he said Shabbos was higher than Yom Shvi. I didn't hear it, but, but both names are very, very great. But each one has its, its merit and its greatness, and now I want to start to go into it. So let's begin with this idea of Yom Shvi. And, um, and this is really, this really, um, this talk, I should tell you, was inspired by a couple of comments that I got. Um, one, one most recently, which is, which is how come they, they, they asked me, how come you, um, on Sunday, so I give this talk on Sunday, the day after Shabbos, how come you're giving uh, a Devar Torah, a, 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 a discussion about the Parsha that we just finished reading yesterday? You should be doing the next week's Parsha. And many people, in fact, some Hasidic Rebbe's, even by the third meal on Shabbos, Shalashudas, are already talking about the next week's Parsha. So, so they, they, they say, well, what are you doing discussing the same Parsha on Sunday? You should be on to the next one. So, believe it or not, that, that's what triggered this entire discussion that I want to give right now. Because there are two very different concepts of Shabbos. Okay. So, so let's start with this idea of the seventh day. Shabbos being Yom Shvi, the, the, the end of creation. So the idea of discussing what is the kavana, the holy intention of people who want to start discussing the next week's Parsha, Shalashudis, the third meal on Shabbos, or already the next day, Sunday, they're already thinking about next week's Parsha. What's going on there? So, we have a very deep concept, a very, very important concept that everyone should know. This is kind of basic Jewish literacy. Everyone has to know this. We have a concept, and, and it's, it's expressed very uh, succinctly in L'cha Dodi, which is the words, Sof which means that the end of God's intention, what... what, what what, what God wanted to do, what God wanted to do in terms of creating the world, He had in mind from the very beginning. Meaning to say that just like an architect envisions initially the house that he wants to build, and then he goes about setting to build it, but what he has in mind is the finished product at the outset, so too God, when He went to create the world, had the finished product in mind at the very, very beginning before he started creation. Meaning to say that what God envisioned when he created the world was a perfect world. A world without 
war, a world without hatred, a world without hunger, a world where there were no obstacles to serving him. And now, what's happening right now is, we are in the process of getting to that place. This is the glory of mankind, of human beings. God gives us free choice, and he gives us the Torah and the mitzvahs, and we use those things in order to bring the world with God in partnership to perfection. Now, this answers an enormous, enormous question. Because a lot of people think, okay, if there's a God, and he's good, and he's perfect, why is the world so messed up? That must mean either God's not good, or God's not all-powerful. Because we see in the world that there's so much evil going on. And the answer is, is that the world is still in the process of being created. We're building toward that initial vision that God had in mind, which is the perfection of the world. Now, there's a lot more to this. There's a lot more to this. In other words, I don't know if we'll get into it right now, but let me just introduce to you the idea. Why does God go through this process at all? In other words, why not just make a perfect world and we'll all be done with it? Right? That certainly would save us a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? So, I'll just sort of cut to the end. It's a much larger discussion. And probably the headquarters, if you want to go more deeply into this, is the Ramchal. You see, the idea is there's a concept called bread of shame. Meaning to say that if someone just gets a handout, if someone just gets bread and hasn't worked for it, then there's a degree of embarrassment to receiving that bread for the person. So if God just wanted to create a world where we can bask in ultimate perfection, and we just receive it without having worked for it, there is an incompleteness and an imperfection to the state that we're going to be in, in terms of receiving. But there's more to it than that. You see, God is perfect and is good. And what he desired to do was to share his goodness with us. So, God wants to share his goodness with us in the most perfect way. He wants to give us perfect good, because that's the ultimate transference of his essence. So, he has to give good in the most perfect way. So, we have to be ideal receivers to receive that good. How do we, come, how do we become ideal receivers? Through the process of earning that good then we can receive it with purity and wholeness and perfection. So we can receive perfect good then in a perfect way. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. But it's actually deeper than that. Because you can ask another question. Why doesn't God just create us in such a way where we won't be embarrassed to receive stuff for free? Right? That would solve a lot of problems. Just don't create us with that hang-up. But... There's another aspect to this, in in some ways an even deeper aspect than what we've been saying up until now, which is that, what is God? Bless you. God is the ultimate giver. God is the ultimate giver. 
And so if he wants to share his perfect good with us, we have to be givers as well. In other words, if we're going to become godlike, if we're going to be able to imbue ourselves and permeate ourselves with godliness, then we have to have the essential quality that God has, which is to be a giver. So if God just created us in a way where we're just receivers and we're just takers, then we haven't become godlike. Then he hasn't shared his perfect good in a perfect way because we have not been substantially transformed. We're just vessels. So in other words, that shows you that a very great key to the essence of this world is to be a giver and not just a taker. Now the truth is, is that in our humanity, we play both roles. We have, to, we have to learn how to receive as well. We have to. That's just an aspect of, um, of our humanity. But our primary focus should be as givers. Because that's the most godlike quality. Okay, good. So you see, you see this idea that this entire world is driving inexorably toward its destiny, which is perfection. And that's expressed by this concept of Shabbos being the seventh day, the crown of creation, the completion of God's vision. And that's why when Mashiach comes, this era of perfection is called the day that will be all Shabbos. Okay? So, so now with this in mind, someone who starts learning next week's Parsha right away is starting out by having the goal in mind, the end in mind at the beginning. Do you understand? At the very beginning of the process of the week, they have in mind the end, the perfection. Okay, so that's, that's very, very great. So that's Yom Ashvi. Now, now listen to this. You have the concept of Shabbos. Shabbos now, we said, is something other than the six days of the week. Alright, so now let's explore what that name means. If I were to ask the average person, what's the last thing that God created? You know, if you had some mild degree of Torah literacy, you would probably say, man, right? If you were a little bit sharper, you'd say woman, right? Because God created woman after man, which is, by the way, a very, very important source for how women are actually higher spiritually than men are, since creation keeps on building up and up and up and up. And the very fact that woman is created after man is a very strong, very strong proof, if you will, that women, spiritually speaking, are higher than men. Okay, that's fine. But that's not the last thing that God created. The last thing God created was Shabbos. Shabbos is the final creation. That's the ultimate creation. Now, if, if you want to picture this, this has very, very vast implications. Um, now, Imagine it in this way. Imagine a rolled up carpet. It's all, all in one roll. Okay? It hasn't been laid out yet. 
Now I imagine I roll out the carpet. I just give it a big push and I roll it out and it unfurls, right? So, so that's the first six days of the week. But it's not Shabbos. It's not the seventh day of the week. In other words, the time-space fabric, if you will, that God created the first, days, the first six days out of the week was one thing. But that which he created Shabbos out of is a completely different fabric. It's a completely different substance. Which means you have the six days of the week and you have the seventh day of the week, Shabbos, which is different from the first six days of the week. Which means, getting more sort of highfalutin, if you will, when you enter into Shabbos, you're entering into another dimension. It might seem seamlessly integrated into this world, and you might not chop or understand that this transition has taken place, but if you're sensitive, all of a sudden you're in Shabbos. You know, people talk about being in Shabbos, right? And it's, it's awesome. Those of us who have been lucky enough, you know, I heard Reb Shlomo say in the name of the Carlina Rebbe, he said, I know where I can get fish for Shabbos, and I know where I can get chicken for Shabbos, but where can I get Shabbos for Shabbos? I mean, those of us who are lucky enough to have felt Shabbos on Shabbos know what I'm talking about. It's something literally out of this world. It's something completely transcendent. Completely transcendent. Um, you know, okay, so let's keep on going. So, so this is the concept of Shabbos as being different from the other six days of the week. But let's go deeper into this idea. How many sides does a cube have? Do you know? Six, correct. So let's just picture it. Imagine, imagine that you're standing in a cube, okay? So you've got the side to your right hand and the side to your left hand. That's two. Above you and below you, that's four. And in front of you and behind you, that's six. Right? And by the way, Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsburg has a, an essay. It's, he published it in book form. It's a, uh, a uh, paperback book that I have where there are six mitzvahs that you're supposed to be thinking about all the time. It's the six constant mitzvahs. And he relates them to the six sides around you so that you can use it as a walking meditation, imagining these six sides, and he correlates which, which, which direction each of the mitzvahs goes. And it's a, it's a very interesting thing. So, so, a cube has six sides, right? Okay. But you know what? That's only partially correct. The fact is that there's a seventh side to the cube as well. A seventh side? Ah, yeah. What is that? That's the inside of the cube. Okay? And that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is the inside of the inside of the inside of the inside. You see, Shabbos, when God created the world, the first six days of the world, it's true, he did put an aspect of himself inside human beings. We have a soul. So that means we have a, an aspect of godliness within us. 
This is true. But the world itself did not have a soul yet. When God made Shabbos, he put a soul into the world itself. So that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. So Shabbos is the soul of the world. All right, so now let's go back to that question. When are you learning? When are you learning next week's Parsha? So we said the first, the first model is I start learning next week's Parsha as soon as I can. Maybe even at Shalashidis. Right? Third meal on, on that Shabbos itself. I'm already thinking about the next one. That's the idea that I've got the perfection of the world in mind right now. Okay? I'm building toward that. Okay, very good. That's all good. So what's this model? What's the model of Shabbos being the soul of the week? The inside of the inside? Well, there's another construct, believe it or not, where Shabbos is actually the middle day of the week. How does that work? Okay, so I'll tell you. So we've got a couple of examples of this. And I'll show you where we see this concept in Halacha Lamaisa, in practical Jewish law, that Shabbos actually is in the middle of the week. All right? So, and that concept, by the way, is, is that my whole week is revolving around Shabbos. But you'll, you'll, you'll see it very clearly in a moment. You see, you've got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Right? That's three days on one side. Shabbos goes in the middle. That would correlate with Wednesday, by the way. And then you've got Thursday, Friday, Shabbos on the other side. So, in other words, you've got three days on one side, three days, because there's seven days, right? Three days on one side, three days on the other side, and Shabbos is in the middle. All right? Maybe you're not convinced yet, but I'll give you a couple more examples. Two very strong examples. And then I'll show you where you see this actually in practical Jewish law. Shabbos, what do we say? What do we talk about when we talk about Shabbos? We say that it's like Gan Eden, right? Like the Garden of Eden. Yeah? And the Tree of Life was in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And Shabbos correlates with the Tree of Life. Okay? So... So that's in the middle. I'll give you another example. The menorah in the Holy Temple, in the Beis HaMikdash, the menorah had seven branches. And each one of those branches stood for another day of the week. And there was a miracle by the menorah. The menorah was like really amazing. The, the three flames on one side pointed toward the middle and the three flames on the other side pointed toward the middle and everyone all the commentators without an exception say that the middle branch was Shabbos so there you see that Shabbos is the middle day of the week and that everything points to Shabbos alright so now where do you see this in practical Jewish law and then I want to give you an explanation that I'm very excited about, about what Jewish law is in general, okay? So that's, that I um, can't wait to tell you, but let me just finish this thought first. Believe it or not, you can say, you can say, 
Havdalah, which is the ceremony, it's very short, it takes about a minute or less, you can say Havdalah until Tuesday night. Havdalah, of course, is the ceremony that ends Shabbos and ushers you into the week. So you can say Shabbos, you can say Havdalah until Tuesday night. And in fact, believe it or not, you can even extend Shabbos until Tuesday night. If you want to stay in Shabbos, you can keep Shabbos till Tuesday night. Why only till Tuesday night? Because you have to start preparing for the next Shabbos. Okay? So, this is an amazing thing. Now, let me just tell you just practically how that would work exactly. Okay? Everyone should know this. Now, I don't know if I'm... If you're... The real Havdalah, meaning that which gives you permission which separates, technically, the um, Shabbos from the rest of the week. The real sort of first Havdalah that we make is not the ceremony of Havdalah, with the candles and the spices and the flame. It's actually an insert that we put into one of the blessings in Marif, after Shabbos ends, in the prayer for knowledge. Okay? There's a little insert there where we, talk, where we actually use the language of Havdalah. And so if you, if you pray the, the evening prayer, the Mari prayer after Shabbos, even if you haven't made the um, ceremony with the candle and the spices and the wine, even if you haven't done that, you've actually, you've actually made Havdalah and you are permitted to do work. Okay? Now let's say you haven't done the ceremony of Havdalah and you haven't done the, the, the Mari prayer, the evening prayer that contains the, the essence of Havdalah. So then, very important, this is, if you only get w- one thing out of this talk, <laughs> get this, which is you should say the following five words after Shabbos, and this will allow you to work. You should not begin work until you've said these words. Baruch Hamavdil Ben Kodesh Lechol. That is, you have formally made a distinction between the six days of the week and, the, and, and Shabbos, and now you can enter into work. And you're not breaking Shabbos by, by, by doing work. Okay? Very important. But, let's say, let's say you did those things, or you either did the Marit prayer, or you did, you said, Baruch HaMavdiyo Ben Kodesh Lechol, right? But you didn't do the thing with the fire and the spices and the wine. You have till Tuesday night. You have till Tuesday night to do that. Which shows you, more importantly, Let's make sure that we're not getting lost in the details here. Which shows you that the flow of that week's Shabbos goes up until the middle of the week. That's, that's the key point. So, so that person, me in this instance, who's staying in the same Parsha until Sunday, right? Or Monday or whatever it is. We're still within the spiritual flow of that week's Shabbos. So we're still in it. We're still in it right now. Okay, so that's it's very much, very much okay. Very much beautiful. You know? So this is the model of Shabbos being in the middle of the week. Now let me make a broader point right now. Which I think, um, I hope that you'll understand what I'm about to say. You see, we have a concept called mitzvot. 
Mitzvot are a very essential thing to understand if you want to understand the Jewish vision of the world. Now, we talked about it earlier in, 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 in the talk today, which is that these are our actions which God gave to us. These are our spiritual tools, if you will, that allow us to complete creation, to be partners with God in building the perfect world. That's what the mitzvot are. Now, a lot of people, especially today, don't really understand this concept of mitzvot. Because, for a lot of different reasons, some of them are psychological. Because mitzvot are also, or commonly translated as commandments. And I don't want to be commanded. And as soon as you use the word commandment, I imagine a god with a whip and a lightning bolt, and he's waiting to zap me if I do something wrong, and he's someone who doesn't understand me or love me. And so everything, you know, it's like the wheels are off, so to speak. I mean, one's entire vision of what this world is and the beauty of this world and the love that suffuses this world and God's guidance and the fact that He's hugging us constantly. I mean, all of the beauty just gets, you know, zapped and and disappears if you use a couple of wrong words. It's just amazing. This This is a greater phenomena. I just mentioned it briefly. It's a greater phenomena that everyone should understand, which is... It's kind of heartbreaking, but everyone should just appreciate that on an ongoing basis, we're constantly misunderstanding each other. Constantly, constantly, constantly. And the reason is, or one of the main reasons is, is because all of us have our own private dictionaries. And we all assume that we're using this, because Webster's exists, we all assume that we're using the same dictionary. And it's true, sometimes we are. And we're talking about the light switch over there, we probably are using Webster's. But if we use the word love or hate or forgiveness or money or oneness, all of a sudden everyone disappears into their private dictionaries. And a lot of these are so packed with emotion and trauma and childhood and I, I, so when I use a key word like, um, well, uh, I don't think you tried. Oh my goodness. I guarantee you what you're thinking and what I'm thinking at that moment are completely different. <laughs> that, that could either mean, yeah, I didn't try. Well, okay, so I'll try. Or you didn't try. You failed. <laughs> you betrayed me. I mean, you know, the, you could give constant, you could give a zillion different examples of the different definitions that we have in mind when keywords are used. Okay. And I mentioned it before, but it's, it's, it's worth just saying very quickly. When the Torah was translated into Greek for the first time, that is on the calendar as a fast day. Believe it or not, the 10th of Teves, you can look it up, one of the reasons, the classic reason, the most famous reason why we fast on the 10th of Teves is because the walls of Jerusalem were surrounded and that was the beginning of the process of the base of Migdash being destroyed which happens on the 9th of Av. But there are other reasons why we fast on the 10th of Teves. And if you look, one of them is because the Torah was translated. And why is that so terrible? Because all of a sudden you're using different words for the Hebrew. And once you're using different words for the Hebrew, 
all of a sudden, alien theologies creep in. And everyone gets their mitts and their claws into the Torah and starts, starts making up stuff. To this day, we fast. Okay. So, mitzvot. How are we going to translate mitzvot? So, so we've been saying that there are these spiritual tools that allow us to complete the world. Reb Shlomo said that they're divine pathways. That each of the mitzvahs is a divine pathway. And this is so beautiful. He says that when you're keeping the mitzvot, you're dreaming God's dreams. Isn't that beautiful? You're praying God's prayers and you're dreaming God's dreams. So, so the mitzvot, so let's get back to this idea of the word spiritual. I heard Rabbi Moshe Schloss say this. And try this at home. Or if you've got a pen in front of you, do it right now. You'll, you'll appreciate this. Write the word spiritual. Okay? So, if I try to spell it, I'm sure I'll misspell it. <laughs> Write the word spiritual in front of you. And now, take your thumb and cover up the letter S of spiritual, the first letter. What do you get? Ritual. <laughs> Very interesting. A lot of people, a lot of people, they think, I want to be spiritual. I don't want to do mitzvot. I want to get into the big highfalutin ideas, but the actual here and now of it, nah, don't bother me with that stuff. So, so you see here, and this is just an English thing, so I'm not placing too, too great an emphasis on it, but it's a nice teaching tool. Here you see that you can't get to this place of spirituality, at least in the Torah construct, without getting into the here and now of it all, the divine pathways, and the spiritual tools of it, which are the mitzvot. Okay, but now, all that's an introduction to what I wanted to tell you. This is the new thought. I want to try to explain to you how mitzvot are the most spiritual thing in the entire world. Okay? Now, if we imagine what I always like to call the, the, the cosmic map or the divine map of the world, if you will, we know that it's sort of like there are four main stratas. Okay? These are, Kabbalistically speaking, the four different worlds. Atzilut, being the name of the highest one, and Olam Asiya, being the one that we dwell in right now. Olam Asiya means the world of action. Okay? And what happens is, is that God condensed His light from the most exalted divine life, what we, light, we, what we call the Or Ein Sof, light without end. God contracted His light in the most highest reaches of this, this four stratas. And he condensed it, and he condensed it, and he condensed it, and he condensed it, until that light became physicality, materialism, this physical world that we live in right now. Okay? So God suffuses this entire world. So when we say, Kadosh, 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 Holy, Holy, Holy is the name of Hashem, the whole world is filled 
with his glory. That's what we're talking about, that this entire world is made out of godliness. Like I like to say, someone once said to me, I'm not so spiritual, and it's like, dude, you're made out of spirituality. That's all you are is spirituality, right? But it's been condensed. Is that clear? It gets more and more condensed. Like, another way I've, 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 I've offered it before is, if you imagine an ice cube, right? An ice cube melts, right? That's the physical world. It melts and it becomes water. But it's the same molecule, H2O to H2O. And then if you boil that water, it becomes vapor. You can't even see it anymore. But that water vapor, it's the same molecule. It's H2O. So in other words, this physical world, you can just, as it goes up and up and up, it becomes more spiritual, but it's the same thing. Or top to bottom. It's the same thing. Okay. So now hopefully we have this model in mind. Now let's try to understand what Jewish law is. Okay? Or what the mitzvot are. So when we talk about it, we use the term halacha lamaisa. That's the phrase that is always used. Halacha lamaisa. What does that mean? So the common translation, the colloquial translation, would be practical law, Jewish law, right? The here and now, what we're supposed to do. The ritual part of spiritual, right? Okay. Let me show you how that works in terms of the divine model that we just set up. So imagine this place of ultimate light coming down into the physical world. All right, you've got the ultimate light. Halacha, translated as law, unfortunately, halacha actually comes from the word holeich, which means to walk, or even better, to flow. Okay? So halacha, lamaisa, is the holeich, is the flow Lamaisa in Hebrew, Maisa, which means is the same word as Asiya. Maisa, do you hear do you hear how it's the same word? Maisa and Asiya. They're two different forms of the same word. It means action. Or it means the world of action. So Halacha Lamaisa, picture again the divine map in your in your minds, this ultimate light, Holeich, Halacha. It's flowing Lamaisa to the world of Asiya, to this realm that we're in right now. Okay, hopefully I've communicated, but I'll just continue on just in case you haven't gotten it yet. You see, Rabbi Soloveitchik says that the best thing that you can do when you're learning Torah, especially when you're talking about big ideas, is to show where that idea comes down into practical Jewish law. Because that's where it crystallizes in this world. You see, if you can't, if you've got an idea and you can't show where it exists in Jewish law, then you're out of business. You know, unfortunately, this eliminates at least one religion that I can think of. (laughs) Kind of knocks it out of the box. Because if Jewish law doesn't support this idea, then it's it's nothing. It's your imagination. Unfortunately. So you have to have, in Jewish law, that landing strip for the light to come down. If it doesn't exist, the idea is not correct. So you've got this idea, halacha lamaisa, the flow of light down to this 
olam asiya, to the world of action. So if someone says, well, the mitzvot and the halacha, that's not so spiritual, that's the headquarters of spirituality in this world. Do you understand? That's, that's the halacha, the mitzvah is the bus stop. That's where you get on the God bus. That, that is exactly where it lands. And there's no, anyone who thinks that there's a contradiction between that and spirituality doesn't understand. You see, we've got this concept of the divine chariot. What's the idea of the divine chariot? That's, that's the idea. A chariot is like this open, this open wagon, if you will. And then, and then it goes. So, so, so the divine chariot, that concept is, is that the driver is, is directed by God in this world. And this is what we all strive toward. This is what we are all supposed to strive toward. This is what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are compared to. And, and this is the ultimate. That, that we should be the landing points, basically. And all of us have this ability. And when the world gets fixed, all of us will be in this place again. And you want halacha lamaisa for that? I'll give you halacha lamaisa for that. Which is that we'll have the third base amigdash, but at least the way I understand it from the Sparno, people will be able to bring sacrifices to wherever they, to their, in their own private places. You see, you see, we had in Jewish history something called Bama Katanas and Bama Gedolas. Right? These were places where people would bring offerings to Hashem. Now, once the base of Migdash, once the Holy Temple was instituted, all private places of bringing your own sacrifices went out the window. No one was allowed to do that anymore. You want to bring an offering? You have to bring it to the Holy Temple. Right? Why was that? Because, you see, you see, when the base of Migdash, when the, when the Mishkan which is the prototype of the Holy Temple, the tabernacle in the desert, when that was first made, this is in Parsha Shemini, it starts with the word, that Parsha describing it, starts with the word Vayihi. Now we know from the Gomorrah that when you see the word Vayihi, it portends something sad or bad. So this is a very big question because here we have the construct of the tabernacle, which was basically, it says, God rejoiced like when he created the world, and it was a microcosm of the world. So here we've got the tabernacle in the desert. How could it be introduced with the word Vayahi, which portends something negative? So I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the original Rebbe something so heartbreaking. You know why it says Vayahi? Because we were supposed to be the tabernacles. Every single one of us. It was supposed to be us, not a building. Ah... So now you see something really outrageous, something unbelievable, beautiful. What did we say the halacha was? That when there's a base amigdash, you can't do your private things anymore. Right? You have to bring it to the central place. But when there's a third base amigdash, when the world reaches its level of perfection, we'll be able to bring offerings wherever we want. Why? Because we ourselves will be on the level of a tabernacle, of a mishkan. We will be fixed. We will have achieved our, our destiny individually in terms of our own personal spiritual fulfillment. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This is like 
And this is just an aspect. This is just an aspect of how God will be revealed throughout the entire world. That each one of us is going to be individual landing strips, you know? I mean, we all have souls. That's today. But it's going to be revealed in this awesome way. In an awesome way. Okay, so now let's get back to the two names of Shabbos. Okay? We'll try to wrap it up. So now you see, you see two beautiful things. Shabbos as the destiny of the world. This is the concept of Shabbos being Yom Shvi, the seventh day. What we're building toward, right? The perfection that God had in mind when he created the world to begin with. And then you have the idea of Shabbos being Shabbos as opposed to the six days of the week. Something other than the six days of the week. That's the idea of Shabbos being the middle of the week. The soul of creation. Okay? One of the Rebbe's, I forgot what, said, you know what Shabbos is like? He says, Shabbos is like you're lost in the forest. And this is like, you know, I, I, I think it was one of the Russian Rebbe's who said this. So, you know, this is really like, you know, ah, you have to really picture a freezing cold. It's, you're in the desert. It's snowing. It's dark. You're lost. Oh, my goodness. Right. It, this is, you know, you don't want to be in that situation. And you're trudging through the snow and then all of a sudden you see a house right in the forest and the windows are lit. There's a warm fire in there and you get into the house and the person takes you in. He says, that's what Shabbos is. Right? That Shabbos, that Shabbos, that's the soul of the world. That Shabbos is the middle of the week. That Shabbos, okay, so now I'll say the words. That Shabbos is what gets you to the destination. You see? That Shabbos which gives you strength in order to get to the great Shabbos. And so now we see that the two names of Shabbos correlate with one, the destination, and the other, that which gives you strength during the journey to get to the destination. You hear? So, Shabbos, 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 right? Shabbos is not just the destination. Shabbos is that which gives me strength to get to the destination. It's the journey and the destination. And of course, each Shabbos itself is a miniature of the great arrival. So that means that Shabbos in this world, not only am I, so to speak, participating a little bit in the ultimate arrival, but simultaneously I'm getting strength to make it to the ultimate arrival and to realize the ultimate arrival throughout the world. So Shabbos is, oh my goodness. Shabbos is everything. Shabbos is everything. Okay, have a good week.